0: there we go. <laughs> Yay! Good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, depending upon where you are. Um, I'm Ashley. This is the Dyslexia Initiative, Dyslexia Coffee Talk. And our guest today is educator Sherry Lucas-Hall. Hi, Sherry. Hi, I'm Ashley. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for uh, having me. You So you're an educator and you're letters trained. Let's talk about your business real quick. Uh, The business is called Designed to Teach Tutoring Services. I started it uh, technically
1: in September 2019, right after I left the school district where I was working in Georgia. And uh, I am actually semi letters trained. Um, I finished the first volume. I'm on the second volume. And Design to Teach Tutoring Services was started because I knew what was going on in the school system. I knew that um, what I had wasn't sufficient. And I wanted to offer reading, tutoring, reading, and reading based on what I was learning through the science of reading, structured literacy, and my letters training. And so I started the business business after learning about dyslexia. And I said, you know what, if this is what's going on in classrooms, and there are a lot of kids that are not getting what they're needed, what they need anyway, because teachers still don't know it. Yeah. So I started the business and said, okay, so I'll serve, you know, individual families when I can. And um, so I do it virtually and I do it in person. Thanks. And a lot of my clients can't
0: actually afford my services. So it's, it's kind of funny.
1: Yeah. Not funny. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: but, but funny as in, yes, it's, 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 Funny, sort of tragic, as in that's sort of the state of the situation right now.
1: Exactly. What I started out to do was to serve students that I knew were struggling
0: in schools. And those that are struggling typically can't afford what I did. Right. So, Um, You wrote a beautiful piece for our newsletter that we published this week for us. Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, Do you want to talk about your journey? I mean, because you... You, you are a teacher, you were not taught initially structured literacy. So that was something you had to find. So can we talk about like what your education was and how was it necessarily that you even discovered structured literacy?
1: Um, well, I'll say this, I always wanted to be a teacher. That was never a question for me. Teaching was something I wanted since I can remember third grade. <laughs> My family oh. tells me it was first. They tell me I was a mean teacher in first grade. <laughs> uh, but that's what I remember. I remember wanting in third grade to teach because the teachers I saw in front of me looked like me and they seemed really passionate about what they did. And I said, "Ooh, I want to do this. I want to teach people how to learn. I want to I teach children, you know, and in third grade, that's what I want. So I um, decided not to do that when I realized that, one, I had a baby early. And two, okay. teachers didn't make any money. So I, you know, and so I decided to go into business. Initially went and got a you know bachelor's degree in in, in human resources, no less,
0: okay. which is
1: to me more aligned with teaching than any of the other business majors. But that's what I went for. Went to I agree. A, <laughs> went to get a degree in human resources and got the degree in management, management, ended up working in banking and a bunch of other areas, and then I had more kids. And when they started school, I decided to go into the school with them and volunteer. And that's when I got bit again by the teaching dog. Just being in the space of a school was just, it's like, a, it's like a, a kid with a new toy. I was just weird like that, always, from birth, I think. But I went into the school and was just happy to be there volunteering. And no pay. I was just, you know, as often as I could get in there, I would go. And um, my principal, the principal at the school, walked up to me one day and said, "You should teach here." I mean, you should work here. I'm like, "Yeah, whatever." And she, she's like, "I'm serious." I applied, got in, parapro, wow. after school teacher, for four years. And in the four years that I was in the classroom as a parapro and after school teacher, I saw kids struggling. You know, I'm like, "Okay, this is," you know. But but my thought was, you know, I wanted to be a teacher, right? I can fix this. Let me go teach. So I decided, you know, let me go ahead and get my degree. And in the while I was para pro and teaching early before before I even finished the master's degree, I saw struggles of students. And you know, I was in a Title I school. So students were primarily black, Hispanic, and very few white kids. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was a Title I school. And everybody was struggling almost. It seemed like every kid struggled. It's like, the, it was almost like the norm. So you didn't, to see a kid not struggling was always yay, you know, because we had so many that were struggling. It was right. like, yay, this baby's smart, you know, and you just, you get excited about the ones that are not struggling. But as a teacher, I knew there was something I didn't know. And I, I hadn't really started my master's yet. I was just in the classroom with the parapro. I'm like, something's wrong with this. I remember distinctly going to a test for Proctor. And there was a child in fifth grade who told me, I can't read this test. And that's when it hit me. I'm like, how the heck did this baby get to fifth grade and he can't read? Yeah. And then I'm thinking, what do I do for a kid who's taking a test who tells me he can't read it? You know, and so five minutes into the test, 10 minutes into this, his head is down because he can't read the test. Right. And I'm ready to cry. I'm like, what the, how did he get to fifth grade and he can't read? And how many more kids are in fifth grade and they can't read? And so, you know, um, I said, okay, let me teach. Let me go back to school and get my degree. And when I asked, uh, i trying to remember if I asked, the, the teacher I was working with, the kindergarten teacher I was working with was retiring. Hmm. And before that, I, I told her, you know, I wanna go back to school, I wanna get I wanna teach. And she would allow me in, my, in the classroom with her to really teach. And again, in kindergarten, I still saw kids struggling to learn just basics, letters, letter sounds. You know, not a lot of kids, but I didn't know that one in five children has dyslexia. Not something I knew. But once I started the master's program in teaching, I figured that, you know, all of that stuff I would learn, right? So I'm in school teaching. I'm in school learning. For I, I was put in first grade. One year and it went so horribly. I'm thinking, yikes! I need to go back to kindergarten. <laughs> but I'm already, I'm in, actually in the classroom teaching first grade while I'm pursuing this master's degree. And I'm thinking, okay, geez, I'm already in school and I still don't know what to do. And so I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's just because I'm not finished. So I said, okay, let, just let me finish. The year went bad to me. It went bad. And after I finished the year, they put me back in kindergarten. I'm like, good. I was not mad put me back in kindergarten of course I'm still doing the masters I'm finished and I start teaching full-time this was 2010 uh, officially teacher certified and everything with a master's degree to teach in the classroom still seeing students struggle and I mean struggle as in again not learning letter sounds not being able to recognize letters no matter how many times I you know would teach they couldn't catch on And so I started looking, I'm like, something's missing in what I know. There is no way that I've done this to get this master's degree. And I still can't figure out how to help certain kids. And I have vivid memories of certain children. And I said, okay, let me, let me, there's something else I need. And and thankfully the master's degree taught me that I can go do research. I can go, you know, figure out what it is, you know, between my undergraduate and my master's degree. I just realized, realized that I was taught to, find the answers to my questions so I started looking plain and simple I just started looking that's how I found it I started looking I was uh the first place I found was um Florida Center for Reading Research and 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 that was my first space for resources to help me to reach those kids that were really struggling so that was with letters letter sounds you know ways to teach them that they would learn and they started talking about Uh, not necessarily science reading, but more like phonics, phonemic awareness. There was a more, a push, a bigger push for phonemic awareness than I had ever seen before. And still no mention of the science of reading, no mention of structured literacy. That was just a push for, you know, making sure children get letter sounds and letters connection. And then in 2018, I I found Emily Hanford. And I, I keep saying this, she shoved me off the cliff into the cliff, into the sea of the science of reading and structured literacy, Mm -hmm. and uh, I found um, Decoding Dyslexia, the group in Georgia. I read my first book about Dyslexia, uh, um, uh, Overcoming Dyslexia by Mm -hmm. um, Sally Shaywitz. That was my very first book, and I had heard about Dyslexia in school, but had not gone into any depth, depth about what it was and how you help students with it. And so that book made me cry, the entire book I cried because I had been teaching at that point for 10 years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I knew that there were students that I had passed on that, that had huge issues with reading. And of course, most of them were black
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Hispanic. And and so I knew that I had failed a lot of students. and and. What bothered me was the fact that I went into teaching to make sure I didn't fail students. I went into teaching to make sure that I did better for students than I had seen. And what I realized after 10 years and reading that decoding, decoding dyslexia book was that I didn't do it. I failed a lot of kids and it hurt to know that. And and I said, okay, so I've got work to do. And since I was already out, of, I had already been booted. I won't say that I was booted out of the school system or something that went on in the classroom that had I had the skills necessary to understand dyslexia, reading challenges, had I had those skills, what happened in my classroom would have never happened. But I didn't have that skill. And so it did happen. And it led me to do what I've been doing. And that is focus on um, structured literacy, focusing on the science of reading and understand understanding how kids learn, um, why it's difficult for some kids to learn, and what we need to do in the classroom to make sure that you know, we kind of rewire the brain and how it processes language. It's necessary. It's absolutely necessary. and Every educator and every administrator should have the skills. But right now, I know we still don't. Correct.
0: Because um, you brought up Emily Hanford in Title I schools as well. You know, I'm reminded of a quote from Dr. Ju- uh, yes, Dr. Julie Washington in the last Hanford podcast, which I think was called What the Words Say. Um, I think so where she was specifically with Dr. Washington and they were standing in a title one school. And Mm -hmm. Dr. Washington said, you know, out of this group of children, unfortunately we cannot discern those children who are, I mean, I'm paraphrasing of course, those children who have not had ample opportunity versus those children who have learning disabilities. We can't tell one apart from the other. And if we evaluate, we can't tell one apart from the other because this is the situation of these children right now. And this is a significant challenge to the education system, but something we absolutely must address and must change. I found that quote to be gut-wrenching, you know, that, that you couldn't discern. I found that to be very gut-wrenching. But it makes the crisis in front of us that much more I can't think of the word that I want because I don't want to say critical after I said crisis. But it is. But it, <laughs> it is. is.
1: But why not? Why not? Exactly. And the reality is that in schools where a lot of the kids look like me and Hispanic students, everybody's struggling. Exactly. How do you How do you identify who's who? How do you exactly. identify somebody who is struggling because of a reading disorder or a reading challenge, or struggling just because they haven't had the exposure? to language and opportunities because of their economic background. That's not an excuse to fail them, but that's a reality for a lot of the students in, 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 in Title I schools and in communities where you know, the socioeconomic economic background is low. You know, exactly. the, the, the struggles are so proliferant, there's so many kids struggling that you can't tell the difference. But that means that every teacher in that school needs to be qualified and ready to identify it in the way that it needs to be identified through assessment mm-hmm. and be able to teach to it, whether it's a reading challenge or whether it's just you know lack of exposure because their environment is different. That should exactly. be a reason to fail students. And we should never open our mouths to say students are failing because they're poor. We should never open our mouths to say that. And I hear that so dang often. It, it t- just, it takes
0: me off, honestly. And, and it honestly, it should. And I was looking for a word stronger than critical, to be perfectly honest. I wanted something more profound than that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I fell down these rabbit holes of words in my brain. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I call it a brain fart. That's what it is.
0: It's okay. <laughs> but um, so what... Based on what you know now and the educational experience that you've had and the statement that you just made, of, you know, all of these teachers should be armed with this information. If if, you know, if it were up to you to decide how we were going to go about making this change, what what do you think would be the best way to go about it?
1: Uh, well, first off, I don't know how policies are changed. I know it's political. It is. I know that I know that there are a lot of people with money in spaces making decisions about what's going to happen in, in spaces where they are not, yes. in spaces where they're not even affected, but they're making decisions for those children that are in those spaces. I know that a lot of that has to do with money, but I also know that the government now has provided ESSER funds to be, you know, distributed to help, you know, communities to help with this reading crisis or or to help with just the crisis during the pandemic, right? And so the use of the funds is, is what's gonna be important. One of the first things I think we need to do because we have this science of reading and structural literacy that everybody's so aware of in the military, in the elementary school level, right? What are we doing for all those people that we've missed? You've got middle schools, you've got high schools, you've got juveniles in detention, you have grown folks in jails and all of those people have been affected because they are either challenged in reading or they just have never received good reading instruction. And so there are things we need to be doing intentionally. And that's a word that I don't think people are using enough. There Mm -hmm. needs to be intention about whatever we're doing. There shouldn't be this, you know, half-sided, seated side of your neck, you know, offhand kind of, you know, let's try The time for trying stuff is over. We need to be real intentional about how we reach these children that we have failed already. Because these kids are no longer in elementary school. We can't fix them. These people are in middle and high school, still struggling with a reading challenge that should have been addressed in elementary school, but it wasn't. Now they're in middle and high school trying to deal with middle and high school, you know, language, terminology, you know, content, and they still can't read. So one of those things that I keep pushing is that we need literacy centers and clinics in middle and high school. That needs to be an intentional thing. There needs to be some way to triage what's going on in middle and high school. These kids are still failing. They're still struggling, and they're not getting the intent, intentional focus they need. Mm -hmm. So that needs to be first. We've got a lot of juveniles, you know, in the system already because they were failed in the educational system. So now you put them in the justice system and I guess paying more money to keep them in the justice system makes more sense. You know, yeah. it does not. Mm-hmm. So if you if you got them there because the one failed them, then you need to invest them while they're there so that that recidivism doesn't continue and follow them straight into the full-fledged full, prison system. So if you don't want them there, Then you have to be intentional about making sure they don't stay there. That means while they're in the juvenile justice system you need to really focus on teaching them to read because clearly they didn't learn that. Okay so it's just again just intentionality. The the money's out there. I keep hearing the money's out there. People keep telling me I I don't have any money Uh, but I keep hearing that the money's out there. If it's out there then be intentional about where you put it.
0: Yeah I love so because I know you, I've been seeing you say the literacy centers for a mm-hmm. while, and I think it's genius. And I think I think where people lose sight of that is they're like, well, but they can't be out of their gen ed classroom because then they're missing critical instruction. And I'm sitting here going, okay, if the baby can't read, critical instruction is not going to make any difference. Right.
1: You get, you get, they don't even understand the content because they can't read the words. Right. I'm in Letters, I'm in Unit 7 of Letters. I started it this morning. Um, We just finished Unit 6 in Comprehension. And I I read something this morning, I think, that talked about comprehension and our focus is always on comprehension. They cannot comprehend the words if they can't read the words. They can't read the words if they haven't had the decoding instruction that teaches them to read the words. That starts with orthography and phonological awareness, right? So we're going all the way back to foundational things that should have happened for these kids in elementary school. They're now in middle school and nobody's focusing on those things. They're now in high school and nobody's focused. So what are you planning to do? Not give them the foundational tools they need to be able to process all this other stuff that you t- it's not gonna work. And you're gonna right. find a lot of kids, you know, exhibiting behaviors. Because they're extremely frustrated. They've been failed all the way through the middle elementary school. Now they're in middle and high school, and you're expecting everything to get right. Because now they have bigger bodies. It's a bigger body that can't read. So you wonder why they're upset? Because everybody before you has failed them mm-hmm.
0: clearly. Failed and you're so yet, They're them. angry. Right, and you're forcing them to be in an environment that they can't escape from, trapping them. You know. Eight hours a day, and also it's in an environment that you know ha- is a culture of why can't you do this? You need to try harder. You need to make good grades. You need to.
1: <laughs> and so
0: you're you, you're telling them, okay, um,
1: I'm going to move your body, physically, from elementary school to middle school. Uh, you had all these struggles in elementary school, but now that you're in middle school, it should be better. You're a big boy. You should be able to do this. Yeah, no. Right. You haven't given them the tools to do that. And then for a black boy or a Hispanic child that's angry because they've been failed, the system starts to look at them as a criminal automatically. And so it starts Mm -hmm. early. It starts for them usually in in elementary school, but by middle and high school, nobody's going to give them the opportunity. Nobody's going to take the time to say, hey, what's really wrong? What's at the foundation of this anger that we see? You know, what's at the foundation of why you are so upset when we try to get you to do work? Oh, you can't read the work. I keep shoving it at you, but you can't read it. Oh, so now let me step back and see what I can do. And they, the literacy centers, clinics, like I said, triage work, and the spaces where these kids are really struggling because now by high school, they're getting ready to step out of school into, you know, grown up space whether they go to college, you know, trade school, most of them, if they can't read, they're not going to college. They may choose a trade school because they have gifts, whether we recognize that or not, they have gifts and they may choose a trade school, but some of them won't even go any further than high school and they'll never pick up another book,
0: Right.
1: you know? So if we do the literacy centers in middle and high school, and like I said, triage work to save those kids or at least provide them some kind of foundation Mm -hmm. that they can work on and stand on as they continue to move through, I think it'll be better in the, in the middle schools, but in high schools, that triage work is going to be vital for those kids Mm -hmm. because it'll open the windows and doors for them that they've never been able to, you know, and honestly they begin to doubt themselves. I'm stupid. You know, we know that's what happens with kids with dyslexia, literally, Mm -hmm. you know, or even a reading challenge, even if it's not dyslexia, if it's just a reading challenge, those kids honestly begin to believe that they're stupid, Mm -hmm. that I'm never going to learn it, but yes, baby, you're going to learn it. If you find somebody who is willing to actually teach you the skills you need to process the language that you can't see, them. You, it needs to be practiced for them. It needs to be structured. It needs mm-hmm. to be that explicit, structured, you know, um, um, cumulative and diagnostic instruction that they need. So we know where they're struggling and you can provide that instruction for them. That's what literacy clinics would be for. It's gotta be people that are, that are knowledgeable about the science of reading and structured literacy in those
0: clinics, but those clinics would be vital to those kids. Right. Absolutely vital. And like we had uh, Dr. Jan Hasbrook a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago on, and we were specifically talking about fluency. Right. And I really wanted to have that conversation <laughs> because fluency is so poorly understood, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's so critical for comprehension. And I loved that she broke it down and she said, you know what Scarborough's rope is? Right. That you have to achieve fluency with each strand of the rope. Mm-hmm. Or that strand isn't strong enough to weave into, you know, the, what the rope ultimately becomes with reading fluency. Mm-hmm. And that is such a poorly understood aspect about teaching reading within the balanced literacy camp, especially, you know, but, you know, let's not call that literacy because it's not, but (laughs) just being honest.
1: (laughs) But something else I, when you, when you said that, I started thinking about what I read this morning and we talk about fluency so often, but we forget accuracy. And I listened to, uh, I watched the video um, that was done. I think it was through the reading league, but it was, um, it was, Jeez, I just had a brain fart. That's really bad. That's really bad. Jeez, um, um, Michael and Reedsters. Um, okay, anyway, past the brain fart. The, the basics is fluency is dependent upon accuracy. You can't mm-hmm. be fluent unless you're accurate, right? Mm-hmm. Accuracy comes from being able to decode the words. Decoding goes all the way back to word recognition. Right. And back to phonological awareness and orthography. You cannot do the fluency unless you address the word decoding. Kids are not even going to get to be fluent if they can't read the words. Exactly. So we the, the thing is, we keep pushing fluency and, and fluency and comprehension. That's the big thing we push. But unless those kids have the foundational skills of having a, a high frequency word knowledge, having strong phonological skills and orthographic mapping that fluency is out the window anyway
0: mm-hmm.
1: because there's no accuracy in what they're reading
0: exactly right exactly
1: so, you know, um so pharrell that pharrell mm-hmm. um i am drawing a very big blank right now <laughs> she actually called me this weekend and i'm sitting here right now and i cannot remember her name seriously from from reading rockets you know her, everybody knows her, I can't, I'm literally just on the big fat- Yeah, mic. but we already know
0: I'm falling down the hole of can't think of the words I that know, I need
1: today. So what's gonna happen is while we're talking here, what's gonna happen is she's gonna come back and I'm gonna blurt it out. So <laughs> just wait for that, cause-
0: Go it's ahead. <laughs> that's like me at two o'clock in the morning, the
1: word was X. <laughs> yes, it's Pharrell because I remember misspelling her name. So I know that's her last name, Pharrell. I can't remember the first name, I'm drawing a serious blank right now. Now that's, I'm going to Reading that's, Rockets. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. because what I was saying is I was watching a, a, a YouTube video where they talked about decodable versus level literacy books and she actually mentioned the whole point about fluency and accuracy. And part of the problem was that, you know, again, people's focus on fluency negates the the, the fact that you have to be accurate before you can be fluent. You get to fluency, but if you're not accurate, you're not gonna get to fluency.
0: Linda, Linda, Linda,
1: and I say that because I just read it again this morning in my letters training. I got up this morning, I was not gonna go walk. And I saw so I opened my letters manual and started reading. And that was one of the things that came to me again about fluency for some reason. And I'm guessing that's because we were gonna talk about it today. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was prepared, you <laughs> even, were prepared. With my, even even through my brain fart, <laughs> <laughs> and I have those a lot lately. Hmm. I just keep going. As long as I remember my name and where I live, I'm good.
0: I know. I only get frustrated when people look at me, and they're like, spit it out, and I'm like, you can't.
1: <laughs> I don't even pay any attention anymore at this
0: point. You know, I have enough older
1: people around me that I know that it's normal. Exactly. So Again, like I said, as long as I remember
0: my name and where I live, I'm good.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Everything else um, will come back eventually. So with the children that are failing, like let's talk about the ones that haven't had ample opportunity, right? right? I mean, you've got, of course, you've got the one in five, you have the dyslexia population, but you have the children that just need that structured, explicit instruction and they aren't getting it. Right. Um, And, you know, again, what boggles my mind is this thought of, you know, our children are missing critical curriculum. Mm -hmm. It can catch up. Yeah, absolutely. Why why do we only have to teach between, you know, this curriculum between the ages of seven and 18? It's not like the brain's gonna shut down and they're not gonna take in any of those lessons anymore. Can we Mm -hmm. focus on what needs to be genuinely given to these children, which is literacy? Uh,
1: This country, honestly. (laughs) And I have to say this country because the decision makers seem to always miss vital stuff for some reason to me. (laughs) You know, what's going on in real communities, they don't seem to be aware of. They are only aware of what's going on in their spaces. But what's really happening is in communities that don't belong to them, uh, where they are not in, uh, those communities are experiencing real hardships. And this country seems to want to either gloss over it or just not talk about it. It doesn't exist. You know, and and just by doing that, you you don't change the situation. Mm -hmm. If you want to avoid a conversation, fine, avoid a conversation. But what you're saying is, you know, we don't really want to address this issue. Yeah. At at this point, for me, you're just saying we don't want to address that. Let's skip over it. So the reality is those children that are in communities that are still struggling with reading that because of economic hardships, you know, and that their environments just don't allow for the things that those students need to have to promote good literacy in their own spaces where they live. And then you go into their schools and the schools. I don't know how they say this without seeming like that I'm criticizing educators because I'm not. Uh, the criticism is in our system. It's not necessarily in individual educators. It's in our system. We have schools and communities that are having a difficult time. And in those community, in those schools, if you're not providing what students need to be able to learn to read better, if you're not providing teachers that are skilled, if you're not providing the literacy, you know, the types of books that they need and the kind of instruction that they need in those communities that will improve what's in their environment, you're gonna fail them anyway, because what happens is their environment is already limited for whatever reason. And we have to admit that systemically, some environments are limited. We need to quit avoiding that conversation. Some environments are limited because of systemic inequities. When you go into the space, the schools in those spaces, if you don't provide those schools with the resources and the people necessary, to make sure that they can change that environment that the children come from. That school has no purpose there. Right. What's going on in that school has no because if it's not going to change the condition of those students, it's not going to change the resources and and access to what they need to be better in reading, then you're not going to change anything for those students. You're just in the space and saying that you're teaching and you know, you're not changing anything. So they're going to leave that school and they're going to go into whatever other community schools there for middle and high school and finish and and go back out there and, and like many other people in those spaces are going to continue to struggle because systemically our country has not changed, you know, the inequitable systems that are existing. That's, I mean, that's the real bottom line. Okay.
0: Do you, were you aware of, or do you remember it was, it was this year, I think it was about um, six months ago because it, it was definitely in the last school year and it was, a, it was a news report that had been on one of the major news stations. And it focused on uh, a boy that was getting ready to graduate from high school. And he couldn't read? And he could not read. He was in Baltimore, mm-hmm. in the Baltimore public school system. Yep. And, you know, he had been passed grade after grade after grade after grade. And I can't remember what the catalyst was where the mother finally figured out that her son absolutely could not read at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the statistics for that school was like something insane, like only one to 2% of the graduates could actually read from that high school. And what blew my mind was, you know, I, I went to the news story on various mediums and I was reading the comments because I wanted to see what people were saying about this. Mm-hmm. Everybody blamed the mother. hmm it, it was all the mother's fault. And it, I, I just, I, I got sadder and sadder and sadder with each comment that I read because I was going, they don't get it. No. And then I was thinking about a conversation that I had with somebody locally who knows that balanced literacy fails children. She, mm-hmm. she doesn't know anything about dyslexia, but she knows that balanced literacy doesn't actually teach anybody to read. Right. And She, but she knew that I was a dyslexia advocate and she came to me and she was like, why is nobody listening? And I said, because we sound like we're crazy. Everybody fundamentally believes that people are exiting school capable of reading despite all of the data that says contrary to that reality. And if you look at it across Uh, the racial groups, you see massive inequity happening, but everybody thinks, oh, hey, it's the parent's fault that the child can't read, or it's the kid's fault that the child can't read. And I was, you know, I wanted to comment. Yeah, I wanted to comment on that that post with the Baltimore thing going, if one to 2% of the total graduates out of the high school are the only ones capable of reading, and by the way, they're not reading at mastery, but they can read higher than a fourth grade level, that doesn't, that's not the parent's fault. <laughs> Why are you not seeing the issues here?
1: <laughs> you know, the, the interesting to me is thing to me is how often from middle through high school, we blame parents for what the kids are not doing. Mm -hmm. Even in elementary school, that's where the blame lies, usually with the parents. But I've said this before. Uh, Parents are not trained to parent. There's not a book written, real book, that tells us how to parent. No. But we go to school to learn to teach. We are trained educators. So whatever is in that house where that child comes from, first off, that's not your business. Sorry. That's not your business. (laughs) what's your business is what's going on in that classroom. Whatever's going on in that house, you don't control that. That's not, I mean, first off, you don't live in their house. Mm -hmm. You don't know what they're dealing with. You don't know what that child got up and had to deal with that morning. Your job is in that classroom. Mm -hmm. And when we know what's going on in the classroom is failing students, as, as, as the educator, our job is to pursue what will fix that struggle for that child, period not to point a finger and say this baby, I can't teach this baby to read because that I've heard that one. I can't teach them to read, they can't learn. Yes, they can. Your job is as the educator is to teach, find a way to teach that child to read. You know, children don't teach themselves. Parents, if, we, if we're thinking about this systemically, and this is the issue, this is, this, we keep on a gloss, we keep, keep wanting to gloss over systemic, right? What is systemic? Systemically, The parents may not have even been able to read. Are we not going to deal with that? We're not going to address that, huh? That we, since we know that we've been failing in reading and the research in the science of reading is over 40 years old, right? I just said I'm almost 57, right? So we've got parents that were probably never taught to read and you want to send a book home with a child who can't read to parents who probably can't read either. Oh, okay, that's right but we're the trained educators. Trained in what? What, right. what? what are we trained in? Torture parents? Is that what we're trained in? I don't remember that training in, in any of my courses. Send right. books home and torture your parents. I don't remember that one. And so if we're, we're doing that, and that's what we're doing, we're sending books home You know, in a system that we know is you know, unequal. We're right. sending books home to children in spaces where their environment is already challenging, and then we're blaming the parents. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and what this story, even this, this story about this Baltimore student, right. Mm-hmm. What it even conveyed too, was he was, he was one of like three or four children. The father was never interviewed. And so I'm going to, I'm going to make the leap and say that it was a single parent household. She worked four jobs, there you but go. it's her fault. There you
1: go. And why was she working four jobs?
0: <laughs> to keep a roof over their head no, and food on the no, table. No, that's
1: not, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. why did she have to work for jobs
0: gotcha. what in
1: her space required her to need to again we're Perfectly talking about well. systemic if we're not going to address the systemic issues that these kids bring into classrooms with them yeah then we are never going to really reach them because we keep trying to set aside what's happening for these families realistically in their everyday lives yeah we can't not but but here's the thing this is what i was thinking if you're not in that space you don't need to address it. If it's not affecting you, you don't feel the need to address it. And we exactly. have teachers where it's not affecting them. It never, they never have to worry about the kids, the stuff those kids have. They never have to worry about getting up in the morning and not being able to feed their child. They never have to worry about their kids waking up and they're not home yet. They never have to worry about, you know, I mean, this there's, there's a myriad of things that some parents never have to worry about because it has never affected them. Right in a society where we won't address systemic racism, we won't address the inequalities that exist, when we're in classrooms telling parents what they need to do with their babies. I mean, it just, it makes no sense. And mm-hmm. if we're not gonna really be intentional about what we're doing in education, we can just hang this up. Because we can't keep telling parents what they need to do in their homes or standing in a space and telling parents what they should be doing in their homes when you are never affected by any of the things that those parents are dealing with ever. Mm -hmm. not once but you have the you have the gall to sit in your classroom and say to a parent well you just need to read more to your kid you I mean you you work in three jobs but you just need to read more to your kid you need to take your kid and expose them to with what money am I going to take this baby to expose them to anything what have I got what's in my community you know but we don't want to address those things so you know there's some things that we have to be real and honest and address them. And as long as this country refuses to acknowledge and address certain things, we will continue on the path that we're on. You can't just look over things like systemic inequality and say, you know, the whole, anyway, watch my language, um, pull yourselves by, up by your own bootstraps. Half of them, some people don't even have bootstraps. right? Yeah, and those that can make their own bootstraps, great. They may, you know, get along better, but you have folks that don't even know the beginning of making a bootstrap. You know, we're talking systemically. We're talking about foundations of the country. If we're not going to address it, let me hang all this up. It's not going to change. Exactly. We have to be intentional about what we're doing. And at this point, we're not being intentional. And there are people in spaces making decisions that have never been in the space of some of the situations that we find many of our families in they've never been there but you can give advice on somebody who is daily that's daily their walk right
0: so yeah you have a long well, way to go <laughs> but well, we, we're definitely in a culture of my opinion is valid over your life right and when <laughs> my father my father always had an expression about opinions you know of course he gave it to his children hey. because he was the dad and we were the kids and he wanted us to shut up because he was the dad but it's such a per- it's such a perfect statement about opinions and opinions are like mm, and everybody's got <laughs> one yeah. yeah there you go exactly <laughs> there you go enough on that one we addressed that one very clear
1: right? yes yeah. um, you know, but, but people's existence is not an opinion that the existence that these people are in that is right. not opinion that is from their lived experience correct and if we're going to dismiss their experiences we are dismissing every potential we have to serve those families exactly because you're not dealing with what they're actually seeing and living
0: on a daily basis exactly um I'm curious, just just because I found it so enlightening from the policy perspective, but have you mm-hmm. read Natalie Wexler, Natalie Wexler's The Knowledge Gap? I have not had time to read that yet. Again, my
1: focus is really between the business and my letters training. Right, That's right. where my I mean, I'm uncovering <laughs> the logic of English is one that that sits close. But I have it. I haven't started reading yet. I have a whole list of books I've got to start reading after I finish my letters. I've got two more units in my letters training and then I'm finished. So after those, yeah, I started in February of this year and I'll be finished um, with those two units probably by the end of the week. That's my goal to finish them by the end of the week. You you have the cohorts where you do the online portion with a group of people. And Mm -hmm. then I have the online assessments to do. But my goal is to finish um, within the next two weeks. Wow. That's uh, and, then I, and then I can, you know, you can do that when you don't have a real job to go to every day. That's not necessarily a good thing. I'm just saying, you know, I have the time to do. It. <laughs> but, you know, but when I finish that, I'll, I'll you know, add my list. Uh, it's
0: on my list. It's on the top of my list. I think you'll find it interesting because she said she sheds so much light on the shaping of policy over mm-hmm. kind of the last hundred years, educational mm-hmm. policy specifically. And right. especially when she gets to today, those voices that are trying to tell us what we should and should not be teaching inside of the schools. Right. I right. think you'll find that very, you already know all of this, but I think you're gonna find the fact that it's in words so you're you're gonna find it very satisfying. And
1: I, I have to balance my reading Yep. Uh, with uh, things like Natalie Wexler and then things like my other book that I'm reading, uh, Fugitive, Fugitive Pedagogy. I have to balance my reading with readings about this society and everybody yep. and readings about my reality in the space that I live in, okay? Because we said this when we first started, this is what I come with, mm-hmm. okay? And all the experiences that come with being this, And I have to be ready to face this society in the skin that I'm in and in the experiences that I have. And I know for a fact that sometimes when I come in this body, people will dismiss what I say. And so I have to balance my reading with that kind of knowledge that you talk about in in Natalie Wexler's book with knowledge about who I am and where I come from and what I know that we're dealing with in the spaces where I exist. So, you know, I, you know, I do that. And right now my, 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 my reading is heavy with letters, <laughs> which doesn't necessarily speak to me in my existence. Uh, so, uh, you know, I have to, you know, I'm, I'm in letters and uncovering this logic in English and another book that speaks to me. So again, that, that's how I have to read, you know, I with understand. the knowledge,
0: with the, with the knowledge of my reality. That's how I read. I understand. But she's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to be cognizant of your time because I know that you've got an assessment in 27 minutes oh really
1: is that what time it is
0: oh oh okay or, or am I off it's 30 minutes okay a, yeah. <laughs> thank you so for the one uh, I I'm just I keep watching the clock because I think that you and I could probably talk forever and <laughs> I don't <laughs>
1: The top, Just the topic itself is something right, right. worthy of conversation, but beyond the conversation, there has to be action. There has to be real movement. There mm-hmm. has to be real steps in making change so that these, one, so that teachers get the knowledge they need, and two, so that the knowledge that teachers have is passed on to the students they need it. So the conversation is great but we need to see more action in the way of getting the knowledge into the hands of teachers and then, you know, being able to provide that to students.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, changing the university systems from their balanced literacy (laughs) entrenchment. (laughs) That's going to be, that's that's almost a battlefront all, all just to itself the publishing company shouldn't control the universities as much as they do. But unfortunately they do right now. I wasn't feeling, I didn't know that. Uh, Well, so I don't know that for a fact, but what I, how I think of it is, you know, because I, I when I was in college, my goal was to become a college professor. Mm -hmm. That's what I wanted to do.
1: Okay.
0: And so what I understood was, you know, If you're a college professor, you're responsible for generating so many papers in in X amount of time, right? I mean, every college professor is supposed to be researching, working, contributing to the space in which they exist, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. In order to do the research, you have to be funded to do the research. Okay. Who's going to be providing the funding to those that are in education colleges across the country in order to support their work, right? Okay,
1: wow. I, I, all I know is is, you know, what I thought I was taught in school wasn't what I needed to be effective in the space that I was in. That's all I know. I, I don't know it from this perspective you just gave. Uh, what I also know is that uh, what I thought I was getting, um, I even began to go for a reading specialist degree at a particular school here in Georgia, because i that's how bad I wanted to make sure that I changed what I was doing and other teachers could change what they were doing. I started as a reading specialist. And when I looked at what they were giving me to do, and I realized that it had nothing to do with the science of reading. I'm thinking, and so I had already started studying, right? So I'm looking at this material for this reading specialist degree I'm trying to get so that I can be better for students in reading. and. None of it has to do with the science of reading. I'm thinking, what the blazes? I'm about to waste another two years and money? (laughs) Given that I'm already in debt for the master's degree that didn't do what I needed to do. I'll be damned, I'm sorry, if I'm gonna go through a reading specialist degree and get another degree that has nothing to do with the reading science of reading. So I actually addressed the university. And the person that I addressed about the science of reading was really indignant with me about the fact that they were teaching based on the science of reading. And I tried to explain that's not what I've been studying. That's not what I'm seeing and the classes that I'm taking don't even demonstrate that. And she was really upset with me. I said, well, I need to withdraw. And she didn't want me to. So I just stopped going. I'm sorry. What I'm not going to do is I've already been through a master's degree. I I know that they didn't give me what I needed. That's from three years. I've been doing this for three years now. So this is what I've learned in the three years. I'll be damned if I'm going to sit in your classroom or sit through any program that I know is not geared to helping me to do what I know is necessary. I'm not doing that. So I just withdrew. I don't know what's going to happen with that. But uh, we've got too many even additional programs, advanced programs that are not preparing teachers to teach based on the science of reading or structured letters. And they're still doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah. I know that we haven't made the move that we need to make. Right, we actually have somebody that's been commenting who's working, um, I'm not, I'm sorry, I haven't been com- following the comments well enough. I'm not sure if they're working on their undergraduate or their masters. I think that they said their masters, but they said mm-hmm. the same thing, that they approached their pro- professors and talked about this uh, structured literacy and the professor shut them down and said mm-hmm. that you know it, it, it wasn't relevant. And you know, the student is trying to express structured literacy is the only way to go. And oh, you yeah. know so you've got this breakdown. I went directly
1: to my master's program. I went back to the master's program where I got my degree from and actually talked to the head of the College of Education. And he distinctly told me, he said, you probably missed something. That's what he said to me. You must have missed something. And so in that something that I missed, I held on to one um, one of your syllabus. I have one. I have one of my syllabus, and it actually says balanced literacy for the 21st century. So I'm like, oh, okay, I missed the day that I got this, this syllabus is what I missed. And I should have been ignoring it, but I didn't know, you know, so I didn't miss anything. You missed teaching it. Yeah. But he actually
0: told me that I missed it. So I'm like, oh, okay. I actually had a family member uh, who recently completed their master's in education, Mm -hmm. who has two dyslexic children. Mm -hmm. And already knew the diagnosis of one of them before the master's began, knew about dyslexia, knew about structured literacy, you know, Mm -hmm. knew all of this, went into the master's program. And They were, uh, it was a family gathering. And so they were all at my house, but she was in a different room with her computer taking a test that she had, that she had to take. Mm -hmm. And every now and then she'd call me and I would go in and she would go, read the question. And I'd go up to her computer and I'd read the question. I'd be like, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be outside the room, like stomping around my house going, damn it. I just, <laughs> You know, and every
1: time we think that it's good, that things are making change, you'll read something from somebody who's been told by their administrator, by their district, uh, a parent being told something by a teacher that says teachers still don't have the knowledge they need in the science of reading or structured literacy to be able to be effective for students in reading and classrooms. Mm-hmm. And I keep hearing it. And so every time I hear it, I'm like, okay, yeah, no, we're not, we're not, we're not ready. We're not ready. Mm-hmm. That means that we still have a lot of work to do. And we need to, again, that word, be intentional. Yeah, I keep hearing this because I listen to a group called A Black Hands. Um, Christopher Stewart and, and, and Dr. Cole and, and Sharif and, and uh, Ray, um, and I listen, and they, the word is intentional. And if we don't make that word a part of our vernacular on a regular basis when we're talking about the science of reading and structured literacy, if we're not making the word intentional part of our language, if we're going to you know do side dishes of of the science of reading and side dishes of you know whatever else we think is going to help if we're going to do that and not be intentional about it we need to, we need to just quit i'm i'm not ready to quit and i'm not going to intentional is definitely a part of my vocabulary so i i'm tired ty- i'm tired of being nice <laughs> I'm not being nice anymore. If you come to me with it, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you what I know. And you have to understand I'm coming from my experience. So don't look at me and ask me to validate what I'm saying to you. I'm. I, this is my experience. This is where I am. This is what I know. You want validation? Go somewhere else because I'm not about to give it to you. I'm good okay. right where I'm standing. My okay. existence is my validation. So you come to me and you question it you can go have a conversation with somebody else
0: because I'm not going to validate myself for you. I know what I know. Definitely. So I want to I wanna ask you one more question and I'm still watching the clock. We've got 18 minutes before your assessment. So I definitely want to get in this, <laughs> this one question and then we can talk about your business one more time. And then okay. I, I will give you at least a few minutes before your assessment so you can regroup.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's virtual, so we're good. Okay, Anything, good. Remember that mess you saw on my table? That's <laughs> it, so we're good.
0: I'm, I'm not actually ready. All I have to do is move it. There right you now. go. Um, one, of, one of the things that I find as an advocate that's very hard about the structured literacy conversation versus balanced mm-hmm. literacy conversation, right. Right? right? Is almost always the first thing that comes up is teacher bashing. Yeah. You know, if I'm implying that children are not learning how to read within the school system, then I'm teacher bashing. And I cut, you know, and I keep saying I'm not teacher bashing, I'm system bashing. And right. there's exactly. there's a fundamental difference between yes. the two. But one of the things that, you know, at least the community seems to think is because love was weaponized so much, you know, the idea of the love of reading was oh. weaponized. Oh. And that our but within that, I think the protection of teachers within that love of reading was also sort of weaponized Okay, that you can't say something against, it, it comes across that you're, you're attacking a teacher it, right? you know, and that's not the situation. It's like, like what you and I were talking about before we went live, I want to have the conversation. Right. <laughs> we have to, it's absolutely necessary. And if you're not willing to have the conversation with me, then I can't help you. And, and you're you saying it's okay
1: me. to stay where we are. Right. That's the reality of it. If you don't want to have the conversation about balanced literacy and structured literacy, you don't even want to have a discussion. You're saying it's okay to continue to fail all the children that we're failing. Because that's the reality of it. We we already we have all this data that's telling us that our children are struggling to read. We have we have the kid that was in Baltimore. We have a lot more kids like him that. Did not learn how to read, and that was with balanced literacy. I can't even. I don't even know how long we've been using it, right? So if you don't want to have the conversation about balanced literacy versus structured literacy and the the, the contents of structured literacy and everything that's in it, if you don't want to have that discussion, you don't want to change. Period. Mm-hmm. You don't want. You want to continue to failing all these students. It's it's that conversation. Those conversations that we don't want to have that are failing our, our, whole, our whole country. You know, we don't wanna talk about systemic racism. We don't wanna talk about the inequalities in, in our systems, right? And we don't wanna talk about how bad balanced literacy is failing students. Okay, so let's just keep going in the direction we're going, right? But I know that there are 42 million functionally illiterate Americans. That was as of 2019, when I, 2018, 19, when I first read the book, uncovering, um, um, dyslexia, right. Right. Which is 9% of our total population. Yes. And so that was then, I'm not even sure what it is now, but if we don't want to address that, let's Mm -hmm. just continue to not have this conversation. All right. At least Germany, I'll go there. At least Germany was willing to have the conversation about the Holocaust and actually talk about it. And, and begin to do things to change what they know that they did, but they acknowledged it. And the problem is that America don't, doesn't want to acknowledge anything. We don't want to acknowledge that the country is racist. We don't want to acknowledge that there are systemic inequalities. We don't want to acknowledge that, you know, we're, there are communities that are not being helped at all, you know, and we don't want to acknowledge that uh, a lot of our teachers don't have the skills and the knowledge we need to teach reading effectively based on how the brain processes language. So I had to acknowledge it because I was one of those teachers that had no idea. And so I don't have a problem with calling a spade a spade and saying that teachers, I'm not bashing any teacher. What I'm saying is that we were not given the skills we need to be effective in our classrooms when it comes to teaching children to read. A lot of us are missing vital information and understandings about, about how the brain processes language and what students need from us so that we can teach them those foundational skills that they need to, to progress in reading. <clears throat> plain and simple, I'm not going to bite my tongue. I'm not going to say, you know, I'm scared. I'm not, I'm one of the t- teachers. I'm one of the teachers that didn't know, you know, so until we call it out, you know, And and we're gonna have to have some brave teachers. I'm, I'm gonna be honest. What we're gonna have to have is some really brave teachers willing to stand up in their spaces and say, this isn't helping the students I serve. And I know a better way. We need to work on the bet. And if you all need to band together, band together. But we have to be brave as a, as a teaching society. We have to be brave as the educators in the spaces we're in because we know it's not working we need to be able to say, this is not working, this is what's better, this is why it's better, okay? Uh, what is the scienceofreading.org is a space to go to to understand it. Stephanie um, Stoller's um, Reading Science Academy is a great one to go to if you still don't understand, but teachers need to get the understanding so that we can be better in the spaces where we serve students, particularly in communities that are black and brown. Because if we don't change it, we're gonna continue to fail those communities. And we can't say anything other than we didn't change because we just didn't, we weren't comfortable making the changes. You know, we exactly. got to step beyond our fear, you know, of, of what we don't know, what we didn't learn, what, what we think somebody's going to blame us for. It, time is time, time, it's time out for all of that, okay? <laughs> we've got to actually step into that space and begin to learn about structured literacy and the science of reading so that we can serve students better, period. That's a period. There's nothing else to that. And that includes in the spaces of middle school, high school, and in juvenile justice, where we know a lot of kids are sitting
0: because they were already failed in the education system. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, So that's perfectly said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's talk again about your business. What's the name? How can people find you? I I need a web
1: page I don't have financing to pay for a web page so if anybody wanted to to volunteer and help me to create it or create it for me I don't have money for that so I don't have a website yet but I wouldn't mind it's called designed to teach tutoring services okay and I teach based on the science of reading I, I use my letters training and all of the studies that I've done in structured literacy to help support what I do for students it's virtual and it's in person um, it seems like I, I'm getting a more of a virtual uh, clientele and I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, this is not only source of income. This is what I use. You know, I've decided to go ahead and sub two days a week at the Howard School in Georgia. The school is amazing. It is. I, I can't I can't I, don't, I can't say enough about the Howard School because, you know, I spent all that time in public school. Right. 14 years. And so the, my first step into the Howard School was like a whole new world for me. Class sizes are small, the food is good. And it's, it's you know, I, for somebody who wants to always be a teacher, I'm like a kid in the candy store when I go to this school. And like I said, it's two days a week, it sets us up. I don't wanna work there full-time, I have to say this. I respect the Howard School for what they're doing, but I know there's a larger community that needs me to be in that space. Because Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of kids that look like me that are not being served. So while I love subbing at the Howard School, I don't want to do that full time. My business, Designed to Teach Tutoring Services, is what I want to focus on now. I say that, and I'm saying that I did get a contract from Gwinnett County Schools to tutor Mm -hmm. in the district. Nice. But they still can't figure out what they're doing, so I'm still waiting. (laughs) So I don't know what's happening with that, but I'm going to continue to do. You know, the I have a Facebook page designed to teach tutoring services, and of course, they can contact me through my email. uh, Designed to well, that's on my Facebook page, but they can reach me through there. Um, Always do an assessment first to find out where your student is. I'm always willing to, you know, take new clients. Email me, let's chat. You know, I love what I'm doing. I can't lie. I love as. It's been difficult financially. And again, back to systems, right? The systems in this country weren't designed to help Black businesses because that wasn't the intent, plain and simple, I'm going to be honest. And so I've been struggling since I started the business officially, you know, well, unofficially in September 2019, officially in July 2021, right? But I've been struggling since that time because financially, the people that really need me can't afford me half the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So the reality is that while I love doing this too often, I'm not meeting my real needs. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say without saying too much. Um, I'm in a space where I really need some things to change, Mm -hmm. but I love doing this work. I cannot lie. I love doing this work. And even though I panic sometimes and say, Oh, I'm going to go ahead and take a full-time job. What I don't want to do is take away from the advocating what I'm doing right? Because I know that we need to make some changes beyond elementary school. It's got to be a middle and high school, right? Uh, I don't want to take time from that, but I still want to continue to serve people that may need me. People that are not getting what they need in schools because schools are still telling them, go home and read more to your baby. And it ain't really working. <laughs> so this is my business designed to teach tutoring services. I love what I do. I would talk to anybody about it. At this point, I'm willing to say, if you want me to talk, I need a hundred I'm just going to be honest. If you want me to talk, I'll talk. I'll say anything. I'll say anything that I know in my experience in the skin, right? But you need to pay me $100 to open my mouth. Because what I know in reality is that the system and people around us are too often to take advantage of what I say based on my skin without compensating me for it, where that wouldn't be asked of any other person, any other person, right? And so I know that now. And at this point, I'm like, yeah, I'm not talking to you, you know.
0: Okay. Well, well, somebody (laughs) just offered to build you a website for free in the comments. So go to the comments. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I
1: have to move. Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I'll take it. Definitely not going to turn it down. I have another thought, but I'll save that one for another space. (laughs) There's something else I want. And I think eventually I'll get there. Because ultimately my, my goal has always been to have my own space to teach from my I, I do all this from my apartment and I go visit people. But ultimately my goal has always been to have my own space to do this work. And eventually I'll get there. But I'll check I'll check the comments. Thanks for yes. that.
0: <laughs> But um your I mean, your your passion and your love just absolutely exude from you in every way. And I yeah. I think you're gonna get there just just because you're an amazing person and you deserve yes. everything that you want. So
1: thank you. And, and and to think, I tuned out being a teacher for a long time.
0: <laughs> I didn't tell you, I
1: start I didn't start till I was 45. I was 45 when I started. Cause I'm like, yeah, teachers don't make any money. I decided that at 20, I'm like, yeah, I won't be a teacher. <laughs> and guess what? <laughs> That's exactly where I ended up. When you have a purpose, when you have a purpose and a calling, you know, you can't ignore it because we're here. We're all here for that purpose. We have a purpose that was designed for us. And I believe that's where my name came from. That's where the business, I believe that I was always destined to do this. I just ignored it for a bit because didn't suit, didn't suit what I was thinking.
0: I hear, well, I, you know, I feel like I found what I was going to do in my forties as well. So I think it's in our forties that we kind of come full circle in life and go, here's my passion let's go
1: there. (laughs) It's just, it's just everything else is just really not worth it. Right. You know, and, and so this is the, this is the risk I took. I'm glad I took the risk. Uh, and I think eventually it will, I have to remember to not panic though, because I get in spaces where I get really scared about, you know, again, that whole systemic thing, my reality doesn't look like what I needed to look like. And I get to panicking, you know, but I have to remember not to panic and, and all things happen for a reason. So
0: I have to remember that. Stay strong in that one. Well, we've got four minutes until your oh. assessment, so I'm going to let you go. <laughs> Thank you, Ashley.
1: Thanks Thank for having you. me on, and thanks of for course. publishing me. You know, oh. I, I, my last published was at 15 years old. I published in a newspaper when I was in Chicago. Uh, my
0: daddy saved it. I don't even remember what it was about. but <laughs> Anytime you ever want to write absolute, absolutely anything. All right, good. then.
1: Thanks for telling me that, because now you'll hear from me again. <laughs> good,
0: good. You have a voice that needs to be shared. But thank you for doing this today. Um, this is this has been amazing. So I think you're going to like a lot of the comments.
1: Okay, well, I, I, yeah. After my assessment, then I'll take a look at it. <laughs> Definitely.
0: But thank have you, a Ashley. great day. You Bye, too. everybody.
1: Enjoy the rest of your weekend.
0: Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye.